to save the lost, their sins forgiven. The greatest story ever told is of this Jesus, how he came to earth to rescue sinful men, sent from the Father up above to sacrifice in love and Death could not contain his power, his love, his grace, for he is risen. The greatest story ever told us of this Jesus, how he came to earth to rescue sinful men, sent from the Father sacrifice in love and take our place and give an ending grace. The greatest story ever told is a Great job. Kind of proud back there, aren't you, Dad? Sure. All right, let's turn to John chapter 3 this morning. I need some help today. Uh, I don't have any ameners here. Brother Chuck's not here. Brother Dave's not here. And it's awful quiet. And uh, I need some designated ameners. I'm going to pick some. That, Tim Crott, you're an amener. I could use you today, brother. And Mark, you could amen. 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 But uh, go ahead and encourage the preacher on to preach today. But uh, amen means um, so be it, or I agree. So be careful when you say amen, okay? <laughs> Some people just say amen, 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 and it doesn't always apply. So if you're going to be involved, say the right time. Time means everything, okay? All right. John chapter 3 this morning, kind of unusual text. It's a nighttime text in the morning service, but... Um, I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and preach it at night, but the Lord didn't give me that liberty, so it just happens to be a nighttime text. John chapter 3, this is a conversation, a personal conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. I'm getting ready to do a series on Wednesday nights, and the Lord spoke to my heart about this after preparing this, about the conversations of Christ, and we'll be doing that in a few weeks on Wednesday evenings, personal conversations with Christ. There's many of them in the scripture, and one of them's here this morning. And uh, several years back, I preached a message called Nick at Night. I was trying to be cute, and, uh, uh, but uh, my message today is Nick's Nighttime Discovery, okay? Nicodemus discovered something, several things he discovered in this conversation with the Lord that I think will help us 
here on this Lord's Day. So John chapter 3, let's take a look at the first 16 verses uh, together this morning. John chapter 3 in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter it the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, he says, I, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witnesses. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe, if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. As, and as Moses was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And all God's people said, so I got some amens out of you. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you uh, for being with us. The promise, Lord, you gave us that if two or three be gathered in thy name, you're in the midst. And Lord, we, we want to sense your presence with us today. Pray that you'd be with all the services going on here at Parkview. We pray that you'd be with the deaf churches. They assemble around thy word this morning in the back be with the junior church, the children, the workers. And we pray you be with us now in our auditorium. We pray that, Lord, the Holy Spirit might prick hearts. The Holy Spirit might make things known. Uh, Lord, to folks that have previously maybe been uh, blinded to the truths of the Word of God. I don't know, Lord. There might be some folks here today that need to be saved, some young person, some adult. I don't know all the visitors that have come our way, Lord, but you've given them an appointment here, and I pray that you'd help them, Lord, with this sermon. Be with all of us as we assemble around thy word. Please, Lord, we cannot do anything in and of ourselves. You have told us without you we can do nothing. So please, Lord, help us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here in John's Gospel, chapter 3, very familiar conversations going on between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus being a scholar, the scripture said he was a ruler of the Jews, very religious man. 
and, of course, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, there's some questions throughout this text that we read, and there's a choice that Nicodemus needs to come to grips with. The main thought here is, is Jesus just a teacher, or is he a savior of all? And that's the, that's the, the underlying premise here of this context. But in this conversation, Nicodemus learns a lot of truths, and I want us to learn some truths, and a lot about uh, something that will change a life, change a life for a lifetime. But more than that, for an eternity is all in this wonderful text. Nicodemus discovered at this nighttime meeting, meeting many things about his life I'd like to share with you. First of all, I want us to notice today, Nicodemus discovered that the Lord Jesus is always ready to meet the need of a seeking soul. And I believe that's true today. Uh, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to thee, to you. But here in John chapter 3 and verse 2, there's a seeking soul, and it's Nicodemus. Now, it's an unusual person, for he is a religious man, again, a ruler of the Jews. And uh, notice that he comes to Jesus by night because he wants to be under the cloak of darkness so nobody sees him talking to this, uh, this Jesus, this very controversial uh, man, Jesus. And so he, being religious and a leader, does not want to uh, come to the Lord in, in the daytime. He, he comes at night asking these questions. And uh, the, the thing about Nicodemus is, although he's religious, he has a great thirst for truth. Now, we can tell from the text that he's not yet been born again. That's what this context is about, the born again, the, the born of the spirit, the born anew uh, individual. And Nicodemus was religious, but he certainly wasn't born again. And in this life we live today, there are many people that are religious. Many people have a denominational tag. Many people have a background in some kind of church or group. But, you know, there's a difference between having religion and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, many people that go to church are not born again. So this text is really important to us today. Although he's a religious man, he's a lost man, but he's a hungry man. He's looking for something to satisfy the longing of his heart. He's been through all the religious rigmarole, if you would, but he's still seeking truth. He's still not satisfied, you know. And I'm convinced in this world a lot of people get involved in the things they get involved in because there's a God-shaped void in their life. And they're trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Money and work and, and uh, sex and drugs and, and drink. Anything that will take away the pain and anything they think that will fill that void that, that's in their life. They're just not satisfied with life. And the answer is Jesus. The answer has always been Jesus. And Nicodemus here is searching, but he doesn't even know what for. But he knows this man, and he says he's a man that comes from God. And he thinks he has answers, and he certainly does. John 6, 35, the Bible says, And Jesus said unto, unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In John 6, 41, we read, The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which cometh down from heaven. They're confused by that. So he goes on in verse 48 and says, I am the bread of life, just clear as can be. In verse 51 of John 6, he said, I am the living bread which cometh down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall 
give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Again, there's a lot of people today that are hungry, but they don't know hungry for what. They're not satisfied with their life. They're not satisfied with the answers of, that they're getting. They're not satisfied with their religion. They're not satisfied with their, their occupation. They're not satisfied with their relationship. Just, they're just not satisfied. Jesus is the bread that will satisfy. So many people running on empty today. So many people miserable today, dissatisfied. There was a woman in John chapter 4, we won't take time to read it, but verses 6 through 18, she was a woman that sat on a well, and she came to Jesus again in the middle of the day at noon. Now women that drew their water back in biblical days came early in the morning to do their job of gathering money, or money, uh, uh, water, and, and doing their daily tasks, and they would, they would have fellowship with the other women and so forth, but she came at noon, hottest part of the day, because she was an outcast. She's a woman of ill repute, the scripture says. And she didn't want to come at the time where the other women were there. And she came and she met Jesus. Now that was not an accident, that was an appointment. That woman was searching for something herself. She wanted her life to be filled. She wanted a drink of water, so to speak, that would quench her thirsty soul. She was looking for peace of mind. She was looking for forgiveness. She was looking for acceptance. And she tried to find it in many different places, but just couldn't find it. She came that day, and the Bible said that Jesus sat thus on the well. The word thus has to do with he was weary. The text text says he was weary. Although he was God, he was the God-man. And in his humanity, he had limitations. He was hungered at times. He had sorrow. There are many limitations that the Lord had. He chose to take on this robe of flesh. And his ministry days were long, and he was just tired. And the Bible said he sat thus on the wall, like this kind of spent, just kind of sat down, I believe, tired. And there was a woman there who had a need. And Jesus always had time for people with need. He always has time for people who have questions and that are searching. Amen. And she sought for uh, satisfaction in many different ways, but especially in her relationship. The Bible says in John 4, 18, For thou hast five husbands, and he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband, and this and that uh, saidest thou truly. He asked, where's your husband? She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you said right. And Jesus said, you had five husbands, and the guy you're shacked up with now is not your husband either. That's pretty much what he said. But then the Lord started speaking to her. Thank God for the seventh man in her life. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. The number seven in the word of God speaks of completion, fulfillment, satisfaction. Number seven we find in creation in the book of Genesis, seven days. It's been seven days ever since. Amen. And the number seven is found many places in the Bible of finish or complete or satisfied. Seven, the animals... Uh, seven days old before they were used for a sacrifice, many things. Uh, Naaman bathed in the Jordan River seven times and he came up clean. And Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho 
on the seventh day, seven circuits. And we could go on and on, but the number seven, trust me, in the Bible is mean completeness or satisfaction. And she was looking for satisfaction, and she sat down on that well next. Isn't that just, just kind of a coincidence that she sat down to the man who could give her eternal life? Next to the one that could satisfy that longing of her soul, next to the man that could give her a drink of water from that well. It wasn't the well she was sitting on, the well that would be within her. And uh, that was all through Jesus. Needy sinners need Jesus. And so Jesus understands her need and the longing of her soul, the desire, what she was chasing after. And we live in a world like that today. This woman at the well, this Nicodemus by night, the Bible records several that just were not being satisfied with the life they were living. Matthew, sitting at the seat of customs, he was an IRS agent. Nobody liked him. And we can relate to that, amen? I hope there's not any IRS agents in the auditorium today. But he was a government man, and he just wasn't satisfied. And Jesus came back and called him, and he followed him. The Lord wants to come by our lives, and he wants to bring satisfaction and peace and the knowledge of knowing him. I don't know that there might be here someone today that you have a longing in your soul, and you don't even understand what that is. You have a need in your heart and life that's never been satisfied. And I want to recommend Jesus to you, that you could trust him and believe on him as your own savior, and he'll change your life. We live in a world today that's lusting after and chasing after so many things, and they always come up empty and they're unsatisfied, and the more they seek, the more they're, they're lacking. But a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ will bring lasting satisfaction, trust me. In Jesus, there'll be peace like you never knew. Amen. Satisfaction to a wanton heart. Only Jesus will satisfy your soul. There's an old song that used to be sung with those lines. Only Jesus will satisfy your soul. I'm not a very good singer, but I'll try to give you the just here. The world will try to satisfy that deep longing in your soul. Well, you can search this whole world o'er, and you'll just be as you were before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you find the Lord. Because only Jesus will satisfy your soul. Amen. So true. Only he can change your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace like you never knew. Sweet love and joy in heaven too. Because only Jesus will satisfy your soul. Amen. Well, Jesus is always available for those that are seeking, those that are needy. Second of all, Nicodemus discovered that there was much more to Jesus than just being a teacher. The Bible says in John 3, 2 here in our text, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now, somehow Nicodemus had heard of Jesus' teaching. Perhaps he heard about the throngs of people, the multitudes of people to come out into the wilderness when he preached or taught. But no doubt he heard about these multitudes and he came to listen for himself, but he was fearful being a ruler of the Jews, 
of coming amidst the throng, of coming amongst the people during the daytime. So he comes to a solitary place in the middle of the night to talk to a single individual. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He had heard about the miracles that he performed. No doubt heard about the many times that the Lord fed the multitude because he was the bread of heaven. The Bible records that one time there was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So there could have possibly been fifteen to 20,000 people there that day hearing him teach. The day was far spent. He asked his disciples, what shall we do to feed these people? They gave excuses of why they couldn't, but the Lord said, have them sit down. He did a great miracle that day. He fed all those people with physical food. But you know, they needed much more than that. They needed spiritual feeding. They needed their hearts warm. They needed peace that could only come from God. And so Nicodemus no doubt heard of these things. He comes to Jesus. and He's already heard that he's confounded the scholars. He rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he being one was probably a little bit uh, concerned about this conversation. The Bible says that he spake as one that had authority and not as the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes. So he didn't go amongst his own group and discuss this or have a sit down. He sought out Jesus. And the Bible says in John 7, 46, there was a man that heard him and said, they said, never a man spake like this man. So Nicodemus had come to the place where he had to talk to Jesus. He, he had to get this straightened out. He had to get some answers. But he knew this about him, that he was a man that God was with. Whom say ye that I am, Jesus said one time. The other night I was preaching in RU this text, Matthew chapter 26, so it's on my mind. Whom do men say that I, the son of men, am? And some said, Thou art John the Baptist. And some said, Thou art Elias. And some said, Thou art Jeremiah. Or one of the other prophets. The reason why they asked those questions and made those statements was Jesus was a powerful preacher and teacher. He preached like John the Baptist in boldness. He preached like Elias with power. He preached like Jeremiah, amen, unafraid of the crowd he was preaching to or one of the other prophets. But he was a preacher. He lifted up his voice. And he cried out, and the people heard him, and they knew he wasn't a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He preached with authority and with truth, and so they came out by the multitudes to hear him. But this one man said, I can't go where the multitudes are. I'll go privately. And the Lord never rebuked him. He just received him. You know, if you're here today and you're searching for Jesus, he'll meet you at your terms. He'll come to you in the still of the night. He'll come to you perhaps during the day at work. He might even come speak to your heart today sitting in church in a Sunday morning. Well, Nicodemus discovered some other things here. We'll go through these and we'll be done. Nicodemus discovered that flesh at its best is still flesh. <laughs> when are we going to learn that? Christian people need to remember that this flesh at its best is still sinful flesh. Jesus said in John 3 and verse 6, he He's saying flesh begets flesh. Flesh produces flesh in the natural appetite and cravings. Flesh is still the natural part of us. You can dress it up. You can make it religious. You can try to reform it. 
You could try to make it respectable, but it's still old flesh. You put flesh in the wrong place, it'll act like flesh. That's why we need to put governors in our lives. Amen. But our flesh, here's the problem. Flesh doesn't need religion. Flesh doesn't need reformation. Flesh needs regeneration. And that's where this conversation comes in to be born again. You must be born again. I say the same thing to you today. If you're sitting here and you're not saved, you must be born again. It's not an option. That's exactly what you need. You need a new birth. You need a new heart. You need a new life. Jesus wasn't just talking when he said you must be born again. He was making it in a, in a, 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 a fact. He was making a statement that you could not get away from. You know, when I was lost, I was without the knowledge of real salvation. I lived as I pleased. I went where I want. I did what I want. That's how I lived my life before I was saved. I did the religious stuff. I went occasionally to church. But my, my flesh was raining, and I did what I wanted to do. You know what? I was heading to disaster, and I was on my way to hell. And I didn't quite understand all that, but one day... I met Jesus. By faith, I heard the word of God preached, and God started working in my heart, and I was longing for something to fill my hungry soul. I was thirsty spiritually. And I called upon Jesus, and I was gloriously saved. The Holy Spirit moved in. I didn't know much about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I just knew I was different. And there was a voice within me that I didn't hear before telling me, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, this is how you should live your life, this is what pleases me, this is what doesn't. Amen, if you're saved, you know what I'm talking about. And what happened to me was a big word called change. I started changing. If any man being Christ is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. So being born again is being unborn anew. I'm a new man in Christ. Been now for, good night, 43 years. It's just as fresh as it ever was. I can go back to the day I got saved and I can remember all of it. If you've been saved, listen, somebody as big as God moves in your life, you don't forget about it. I talk to people and say, well, I think I've been, I'm not sure I could... I mean, good, good night. When God moves in, you're going to know. You might not know the date, or, but you're going to know certain circumstances. You're going to know the situation. You're going to remember the deal, okay? And the Lord came in my life, and he changed it, turned it upside down. The Holy Spirit became real to me and sensitive in my heart and life, and I started wanting to live for the Lord. I had a want to that I never had a want to for before. I wanted to please him, and I got in the Word of God, and I just found it so interesting, and it, it just was so, uh, so um, uh, convicting and it's such a blessing to my heart, and I just couldn't get enough of it. And I'd come to church, and the preacher would preach. I'd sit on the edge of the pew, and I'd take down notes, and every little thing he said I just cling to because I was changed. I was different. There was things in my flesh that I didn't care about anymore because I cared about what God thought and what God said. I'm not doing this this morning. I'm nobody special. I'm just a sinner saved with grace. 
But I'm trying to tell you, I had an appointment with Jesus Christ, and he changed my life. And I began to separate myself from certain things of this life that I knew didn't please the Lord. I started changing my language and my attitude. The Lord started taking things out of my life, the fleshly things that didn't honor God. And I'm not a Pharisee saying you've got to do all that in order to be saved. I'm saying if you're saved, God will take care of that for you if you'll be submissive to him. Here's what happened to me. Here's what happened to John or uh, Nicodemus here in John chapter 3. I got born again. New creature in Christ Jesus. Galatians 6, 15, In Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything or uncircumcision, but a new creature. Friend, have you ever become a new creature? Have you ever experienced a new birth? Have you ever been born again? You ever been saved? Amen. So saved it's pitiful? You couldn't be lost again if you tried. Because you're sealed into the day of redemption through the work of Jesus Christ. Shed blood on the cross of Calvary. The new birth is just not a totally outward change. I want you to understand that. But it's a new nature within. And you'll have the can't help it's. Because if you're saved on the inside, it'll show up on the outside. Eventually. Amen. I never understand these people that say they're saved and their face is all. Their talks are down and negative and you don't want to be around them. Don't ask them how their day is. They'll tell you. And they're Christian. No. When I got saved, I changed. My whole perspective of life changed. Because I was born again. And Nicodemus, he didn't get this. He said, you know, how do you be born again the second time you go back in your mother's womb and all that? He didn't get it. And the Lord was talking about spiritual life. The flesh is flesh. He said, you have a natural birth, now you've got to have a spiritual birth. Because, listen, if you've been saved by the grace of God, it's a spiritual operation. It's something God does, something you cannot do for yourself. God moves into your heart and your life and everything has become different according to the word of God. The Holy Spirit comes in and he, he gives you a new life and a new nature. And there's a new result because of your relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey Christian, you're supposed to live for Christ. You're not your own anymore. You're paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. God told Israel... Ezekiel eleven nineteen. listen, he says, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take out the stony heart out of their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And he says in verse 26, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, God was working in Israel way back in the Old Testament trying to do the same thing. And we see it realized in the New Testament teaching of Christ here in John chapter 3 that you get born again, things will change. God puts a new heart in you. He gives you a new life. He gives you a new want to. Amen. 
If you say you're saved and you don't want the things of God, you don't care about the Word of God, you don't have any desire for the things of God, the people of God, church, fellowship, then you might have a bigger problem than you think. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are become new. So I changed. Nicodemus changed. Anybody that's ever been saved has changed. We need a new birth, not reformation. Nicodemus discovered that the new birth was absolutely imperative. I want you to get that as we draw to a close here soon. John 3, 7, Jesus says to him, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. This is not a suggestion. This is imperative. In order for you and I to go to heaven someday when we die, and listen, all of us will die someday except for the rapture, and we pray for that. But you must be saved. You must be born again. The Lord's not making a suggestion here. He's making an imperative statement. I have to, a must. You must be born again if you plan on going to God's heaven. We all have people we know and we love and we care about and we want them to go to heaven and they just, they're not interested in the spiritual things and we try, to, we try to make it sound like they are. They pass on and we try to make things sound better than what they really are. Listen, there's a day coming when all of us will lay down our head in death. Are you ready for eternal life? The only way you're going to go to God's heaven, friend, is if you be born again. Born of the Spirit. Washed in the blood. Saved by the grace of God. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. It's His work that saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Well, I'm going to heaven because I do good deeds, and I'm not that bad of a person, and, and all this stuff people will say. No, you get to heaven by repenting of your sin and receiving Christ by faith into your heart and life. You must be born again. I run into so many people that think that their good works or the allegiance of their church or group or religious organization will save them. <coughs> but none of that stuff saves just makes you more religious, more self-righteous. Amen. You must be born again. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. Galatians 2.16, the Apostle Paul wrote, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no Flesh be justified. Hey, if you're planning on getting to heaven because you do good deeds, you know, my good things will outweigh my bad things, then you're in trouble. There must be a time, there must be a place, there must be an event in your life where God saves your soul and changes you for all eternity. Now, you need to know there's been a day and a time. You don't need to know the date. <laughs> Many do. I could get up people left and right and they say, well, on June this and July 4th and on, on November the 7th. Or, but some just know, well, I know it was in summer and I know I bowed my knee and I know I was at a tent meeting and I know I was in vacation Bible school. 
I know I was at work and a guy gave me a gospel track and I trusted Christ as my Savior. I was, on a, I was at a concert. I was on a bike run. Whatever. But you know there's been a time, you know there's been a place that you humbled yourself and admitted you were a sinner and you asked Jesus to save your soul. What I'm trying to get across this morning, you must be born again. Same message. Nicodemus said there's only one way to be born again. John 3, 14 and 15. Let's wrap this up. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about the cross. That whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That great verse, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. He's going, taking everybody back here. When, well, he's not taking everybody. He's taking Nicodemus back in our text to something he would understand. He was a religious leader. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He knew the word of God. And he takes him back to Moses. And he said, you remember, remember that situation with Moses and the lifting up the serpent in the wilderness? You remember in Numbers chapter 21. I won't go there to read it, but you can read it in your devotions this week. The people of God were being judged by God, and serpents came out, and they were biting the people, and people were dying because of their, their, their snake bite. And God gave Moses the cure, the solution, the remedy. He said, take, a, take a, a serpent, put it on a pole, lift up that brazen rod, and when people look to the pole, when they look to the brazen serpent, they'll live. Read the story in Numbers 21. The people looked and lived. The people that didn't look died. Right? God gave the cure of his judgment. And he said it was like, it was a picture, it was a type of Jesus Christ being lifted up on a cross one day. And if you look and live, my brother, you will live. There's a man named William Ogden in 1887. He wrote the hymn that we sing sometimes in church. I have a message from the Lord, hallelujah, this message unto you I give. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. Have you looked and lived? Have you finally come to a place in your life, friend, that you realize you're lost without God, you need... This thing that's empty, there's no peace, this thing that you're longing for, this answer to the emptiness of your life, this, this matter of being unsatisfied is just so prevalent in your life and you keep trying this and trying that and going here and going there and it never fills the void. Well, friend, you need Jesus. You need to be born again. Look to the cross. Look to Christ and his finished work on the cross. When these people were bitten, they looked to the remedy of that brazen pole. And they trusted what Moses said. You've got to believe. You've got to repent. You've got to receive. 1974, I came to Jesus as my Savior. I've been saved ever since. Plan to be saved until my dying day. Amen. You do understand the scripture says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hey, I'm not there yet, but it got in the mind of God, it's just like I'm there. You've been saved, you're seated too, if you have faith in Christ. We're not talking that you go to church, or that you're a good person, or that you're religious, 
or that you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Catholic or a Jehovah Witness. No, 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 no. You're a Christian by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Look and live, my brother, live. Some things Nicodemus discovered that day when he met Jesus, that evening, excuse me. I don't know as we close. Maybe God has opened the eyes of somebody here today and they realize for the first time perhaps that all you got is church, all you got is religion, you, all you got is reformation, all you got is you know, personal doing betters. Maybe if this morning, this service, you can say, God, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want you to come during the invitation this morning. I want you to pray to God and receive the finished work of Christ for yourself. I want you to come today and experience what is called the new birth. And I'll tell you, if you get it, you'll know it. And things will change. And it'll be a good thing. Let's bow our heads for whatever head bowed this morning. Nicodemus in this discourse of Christ brought salvation, eternal life to him. If you've ever been freely, truly saved, you'll know it. It's not going to be by some work or deed or righteous thing. It'll be by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So the altar this morning, my message primarily this morning is to people that need to be saved. But maybe you've got someone in your life that's lost and you want to see them come to know Christ. Come and pray for them. Maybe you're a born-again Christian. Maybe you want to come to the altar and just worship God. Praise Him for saving you and changing your life. Whatever God would lead you to do. But let's worship the Lord together. Father, thank you so much for this story recorded in the Bible between Nicodemus and your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, you take now the preaching of your word. Help these people that may be present, or whether a young person, whether it's been a, an older folk, maybe it's been a visitor, maybe it's been a, somebody that's come to church here for a while. Lord, thou knowest the heart of every one of us. And I pray, Lord, for Holy Spirit conviction for those that need to be saved. For those that are saved, I pray, God, you'd put a, a burning desire in, in us to share the truth of the gospel with somebody this week. Help us not to take our light and hide it under a bushel, Lord. Now bless this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet if we would. Brother Tom, what number? 362. 362. 362. And please, if you're here and you need to know Christ as Savior, come. We'll help you. We'll take the Word of God out. We'll show you right out of the Bible how you can trust Christ as your own personal Savior.